Welcome, welcome, geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to a brand new edition of Geeks Me Radio. Today, my guests are Kate McGrath, actor, writer, producer, talking all about her many projects. We'll then be joined by Emily Swallow, the armorer from The Mandalorian, as well as countless other roles. All that and more. Stand by. And we have a full show, no time to just chit-chat. We're going to get right down to business. Right now, we've got Kate McGrath speaking with her about some of her upcoming projects, writing a couple things, uh, acting, producing. She does it all. Kate, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me today. Of course, of course. Um, looking at your, uh, we'll jump right in. Looking at your resume, you do a lot of uh, acting, writing, and producing a lot of the a lot of your own content. And I always find that very interesting because I've had uh, we had Alana Defreitas on, and she said that she has to write a lot of these roles because some of the roles she wants to do just aren't out there. Is that a matter of? Uh, wanting to create roles that are uh, lacking out there? Or is it just something you like writing, you like doing it all, so you might as well do it all? Uh, I think it's both. You know, I definitely think, look, we're entering a a time where women are saying, screw this, I'm going to do it, you know? Yeah. And um, God knows out there in the news, we're hearing about, you uh, you know, horror stories about women who you know, entered the business and, you know, uh, had things happen to them. And, and, you know, in, in a lot of cases, the power structure took not just, um, you know, uh, not just, a you know, ha- they had a terrible experience, but then took away their livelihood, you know? Mm. So I think women are learning, okay, that's not going to happen. Uh, we're going to fight for those women, but then we're also going to create our own power structure, you know? And I think, um, so, you know, not only is it that, um, I wanted to, I, I kind of grew up thinking, you know, look, I'm not going to make it unless I really write my own work. You know, I knew I wasn't going to be like the girl discovered in a grocery store. I just don't look like that. <laughs> but <laughs> I also, I also wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to take charge and I wanted to write smart roles for myself. I, I didn't want to respond to, you know, the extra calls for, um, you know, uh, where, you know, they said, oh, uh, this role requires nudity, which, you know, to me is really insulting. Um, I, I wanted to write smart roles. I wanted to, to create, uh, projects where I want to play this kind of character. I want to play this kind of character. Um, this makes me really nervous. I'm going to try that too, you know? So as long as the dramaturgy is there, you know, my research, which oftentimes takes years, um, I, you know, I I figured it was fair game, you know, so I think it's both. I think it's, it's, you know, wanting to um, create those characters that you're interested in, but also loving it, you know, loving it enough to research it and being, be in the, the, um, you know, in in the, uh, the, the dregs of it, you know, and really, really go for it, you know. Because you do have to love it too. You really yeah, have to love absolutely. it. Absolutely, and that opens to up make another it good. You know, yeah, to no, make it good. That opens up another question too. Is that uh, you, you know, like you said, you're you're writing these because you these these roles are there. You want these roles, and then obviously also from uh, what the Me Too standpoint has done, like you mentioned, with uh, the kind of needing these roles there so you can kind of have your own power in these projects. Right. Th- that begs the question, I guess. If it was like that, uh, why shouldn't more people be doing it? But I would assume the answer, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that people have to 
A, be able to write and also love to write. You you have that gift where you're able to write, but you, I, obviously you also enjoy it. Otherwise, you wouldn't ha- put in all the research time like you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, you know, some of the a lot of the screenplays I've written uh, take uh, honestly years to research. And it's not just books. It's like it's, you know, site visiting. It's uh, interviewing. Um, it, it's a it is a a deal just to to do it. And then I got to tell you, then it's reading the drafts that I mean, after draft, after draft, you think you have it. And then it's it's getting it scored or getting it reviewed and finding out, wow, this isn't this isn't an opus. What do you mean? You know, <laughs> like, and, you know, having to really have your pride stamped down and say, OK, but I still uh, my pride isn't sore enough that I'm not willing to fix it. You know what I mean? Sure. So, um, you know, it's rough. It is a rough business, you know. So, um, yeah, it's writing is. Listen, writing is not I've I've learned that writing is not just, oh, I'll do this to do this. You have to you have to um, really respect it. I mean, it is it is it is the it's like the guy behind the guy, you know, like yeah, swingers yeah. when they talk about, it. Yeah. you know, it is. I mean, any actor, um, you know, I, I've any any performance I've done. You know, I I honor the words, you know, and and that's the thing is a lot of times I think, man, I think I went into acting because I admired great writing, you know, and and that's that's the thing. So, um, no, it is it is a process. It is a process, you know. So when you were studying um, at like New York University, the School of Film and Television, the Barrow Group and et cetera, when you were when you were starting out, did you know that writing was something you wanted to do or did you kind of want to do the acting and kind of fell into the writing and realized you loved it? So acting was certainly the first, the first love of my life. And what I did was I found that actually, um, I started writing, I was writing even in high school. I remember I wrote this play about, uh, what it was like when, um, what it was like when Mary Shelley tried to revive her child. I wrote this play. Wow. Um, and, uh, yeah, I remember my dad read it. And he told my mom he thought it was kind of neat. That was like one of the first things I wrote. And then, um, but I I recall it being very melodramatic and probably awful, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but yeah, like, uh, and I think like, uh, yeah, it was terrible. But, um, but then even throughout college, when I was ignoring my, my calling and studying accounting, which was a mess. Um, I would try to curb my anxiety by writing screenplays. And so, um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And so that was, I think, God's way of telling me, like, all right, uh, you know, you're never going to be able to sleep until you really come to terms with what you're meant to do. But for now, this is what you're going to do. You know, and I think that's how that's how one thing led to another. And so they've always been tied to each other for me. I've always had a love for both of them. Um, and, you know, um, and I've always admired great writing. You know, I mean, Angels in America and, and you know, The Crucible. and Like, I've always loved yeah. great plays, you know. And I found that in in studying the writing of great plays, it made me a better actor. You know, so it just, I don't know. It's just, it's always been, you know, one thing is the other thing for me, you know. And I know so. you just wrapped Catapult, which was uh, a comedy at the theater in New York City, in March, I guess right before all this COVID craziness started, I guess as a writer, it's good to have the writing and the acting because right now there's not a lot of uh, plays and shows going on in New York. The writing, I guess, is something that keeps you busy at, at a time like this. Well, actually, uh, so Catapult was last year. Oh, Catapult last year. I'm last... sorry. Okay. No, no worries. No worries. Catapult was a great show. We had What a great cast. It was a huge cast. Uh, and, um, actually our director, Tony White passed away. He passed away. Yes. Like actually right before COVID, like, you know, um, uh, God, God rest him. God bless him. But, um, yeah. Uh, so, but yes, that was a great show. So funny. Such a, such a great, a great cast and crew. Um, but I will say, yes. I mean, you know, we, you know, I, I work with two other producers, Dave LaRosa and Janine Leno. And we've all been saying, like, right now, you know, we have a film in development with a producer in L.A. And really, everything's come to a halt. So the, the least we can do is is 
you know, cultivate all our screenplays right now. So like I said, I had one that was just scored. So I have, I, you know, that one needs work, you know, and I have another one that um, I've been doing a heavy duty dramaturgy for since last year. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm working on that now, you know, so listen, thank God. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Talking about some you of the know? stuff you've got uh, in pre-production, you've got Descent and the tale of Nikki Newark, which are uh, your producer on both of those. Those are in pre-production. Yeah. Those are, are those the ones you were referring to with kind of stuff? Obviously everything's kind of halted right now, unfortunately, but are those, uh, when a production, when a, a piece like that's in pre-production and you've got this time, are you letting it go? Or are you kind of going back and like, you know, I'd really like to rework this part of that. Or are what, where, where's your mindset with those type of projects? We'll take our first break, pause right there, come back, Chatting more with Kate McGrath. Stand by. Hi, this is Shannon Farnan, the original voice of Wonder Woman, and you're listening to Geek to Me Radio. Welcome back to Geek to Me Radio. I'm your host, James Enstall. This segment brought to you by Marcus Theaters. Finally, we have light at the end of the tunnel. I just saw Marcus Theaters on their Instagram and Twitter said that they will begin reopening on June 19th. We are rapidly approaching the opening of the theaters again. I will be able to get back and see movies. Obviously, Marcus has thought this through. They've got plans in place for social distancing. Uh, the movie theaters obviously will not be as crowded on purpose as they were to maintain social distancing to make sure everyone is safe. Uh, I'm just glad that movies are back. I know it's, it's great that we are able to be at home and watch our uh, movies on TV and we've got Netflix and everything like that, but I miss the movie theater experiences I've spoken about before. Nobody does the movie theater experience like Marcus go to the website. Now you can kind of see what's in store, uh, what you can expect from the reopening, uh, what, you know, kind of how you can gauge what, what are you going to need a mask? Are you going to have to have this or that? Check out the website, MarcusTheaters.com to get all the information. Uh, make sure you buy your tickets in advance because something like this, people are dying to get out. People are wanting to get back to see movies. I know I am. The tickets will probably sell out quickly to a lot of the uh, movies that are going to be opening up when they do on uh, June 19th. So make sure you plan ahead. Get your tickets in advance now. MarcusTheaters.com. Welcome back. Marcus Theaters. Glad to have you back. Uh, we are talking with actor, writer, producer Kate McGrath about her projects with a few in pre-production. We asked her before we went to break how the COVID lockdown and the quarantine affected her views or her uh, mindset for those pre-production projects. So those are uh, those are sort of in late development, essentially, you know, um, we're starting to send out offers to, uh, you know, name actors and stuff. But, you know, it's it's, you know, no, they're they're you know, we're still uh, since they're indie films, you know, we still believe that um, they have a shot. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? This mm -hmm. is, you know, we're not those big studio guys, you know. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, and again, our, our producer, Franco Sama out in L.A., he he's just been so incredible. But. But we, um, you know, we're still moving forward. Now, I didn't, I didn't write those. Those um, Descent was written by Dave and Janine, and then Tale of Nikki Newark was written by Dave Larosa. So, you know, we're we're still plugging away on those. It's just, you know, it looks like we're hoping for sort of a spring production, you know, okay. or a yeah, you know. But, um, you know, I don't know about their writing process. I think those are are actually sort of closed right now. You know, they're like, no, we got to move forward. You gotcha. know. Um, and I think, you know, too, writers can be such perfectionists, so it's better to just sort of sit down and walk away, Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, once you, um, you know, so. and when you're, when you're wearing all these hats, like I said, you're producing some project, you're writing and acting in others. What mm -hmm. do you find brings you the most joy? Uh, well, I'd say acting, mm -hmm. I, I would say the acting does, um, you know, I think I think writing can be so analytical and uh, I think it can be very uh, it's it can you can feel very exposed by it. You know, um, acting is freedom. A lot of times you feel very free with it, you know. Yeah. Um, 
I would say that. Yeah. I would say acting does, you know, but like I said, I love them both. So what can you do? Right. You know? <laughs> well, and you're very fortunate then you get to do both. So that's great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. And you've yeah. got the two projects currently uh, that you're writing. There's an Irish war drama and you're doing a sitcom, I believe. Uh, the sitcom, you know, that's, that's still in, in real infancy. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, uh, that's like in zygote stage. Gotcha. But, um, uh, yeah, the Irish war drama is, uh, that's doing well. I mean, um, you know, I think, you know, uh, being so Irish like I am, uh, and, and, you know, you talk to any, any Irish person, they're usually pretty, pretty proud and pretty fiery. Oh yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, that's been, that's been sort of a, a love of my life passion project. Um, I got back from Ireland last year. Um, but I've been, again, that's been one of those research projects that I've been, I've been working on. I want to say since maybe mm, 2000, maybe now, maybe 17, 2017, I'd say. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, inspired by the Syrian war. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, but yeah, that one's, that one's a tough right too. You know, yeah, I mean, you, yeah. you have to, you have to, you want something like that. You want to be as authentic as oh, possible, sure. you know? Now, is that, so. is it a period piece? I don't want to pry too much. I know a lot of these things probably you can't talk about too much, but is it like a period piece or is it, uh, the Irish war drama? I'm just kind of curious. Well, uh, funny enough, considering Brexit and, um, I mean, I won't get too political, uh, you know, but considering Brexit's complete disregard for Ireland, I would say I could argue that one could write something more um, more uh, contemporary. But no, it it takes place. uh, It takes place earlier. You know, Um, luckily, Ireland is is um, right now. Ireland seems to be okay. Thank God. Right. You know, but um, she always needs her people. So, and then to flip the know. switch entirely, uh, Dairy Girls on Netflix, uh, talk about Irish. Oh. Just, I <laughs> yes. crack up at that show. And obviously that's set in the nineties with that weird show. time. It's, it's, uh, yes. it's very interesting. I- Ireland has such a rich history, but, uh, Dairy Girls just is one of my favorite shows currently on Netflix. Well, I love Dairy Girls, um, because it's such a talented cast and it's so well done, so well written. And and you find yourself laughing, but I do think it draws attention to what was going on. Absolutely. And, and um, you know what it was like to to you know want to have you know I mean there were young people there you know who had to grow up with this. So um, that's what I love about it is that it draws attention to this time you know and and in the early nineties you know it there was there were issues there you know there were still real problems there you know um, so. Uh, that's why I love it because it is, I, I crack up. Uh, I, I thought the second season was amazing. I thought yes. it was so funny. Yeah. Um, you know, and you never think you can get better than the first, but it was so good, you know? Um, and when I was in Ireland with my friend, there's a mural in, uh, Derry, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was able to get a, a picture of him in front of it. So oh, nice. it just, yeah, just a great show. Great, great show. Um, so agreed. And I know the sitcom you said is in its zygote phase. Obviously, <laughs> with, with, with sitcoms, there's so many great sitcoms out there. When you when you're starting to write this, are you kind of writing it on stuff that is situational and uh, things you can relate to? Is it something that makes you laugh? You find a funny situation and you kind of put that in. When you, just talk about the writing process for a sitcom. Obviously, you want it to be different from other ones out there. Uh, just talk a little bit about how your process goes with that. Yeah, it's tough. I won't lie. It's tough. You know, I, you know, I'm a little older, you know, and I grew up on sitcoms, you mm-hmm. know, now it's, it's, it's different. Now it's sort of the mockumentary thing. Um, you know, and I know there's like, uh, the big bang theory, which is still sitcom, but, but a lot of it is mockumentary, like the office or parks and rec, you know, those are the things that were, you know, really popular for a time, you know, but I grew up on, you know, wings and Seinfeld and friends yeah. and, you know, uh, will and grace. I mean, that was, you know, as they say, it was like an appointment time, you know, it was, there was no Netflix or Hulu. You had an appointment. Yeah. You had an appointment time where you sat down with the family and friends and you watched, you know? So, um, I think that's sort of what I am basing this on, you know, if it's even possible to, 
to, you know, that's kind of what I'm looking at is sort of a half hour of, you know, you know, joke and laugh, joke and laugh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I can do it, you know, but I will say that, you know, uh, I don't know, um, you know, anyone listening, I don't know if they know any of my work, but, but it would be a departure for me as a writer. Most of my writing, you know, clandestine dealer, um, um, you know, and, and the writing I'm doing now, it, you know, though I consider myself funny in life, I don't write funny because comedies are very, very difficult. You know, I will say that. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, you know, again, it's, that's what, what, that's what it's about is sort of to experiment in the arts, you know? So we'll see. (laughs) Well, I, I, that's why it's, still a little zygote <laughs> right well that's i mean take your time because the world needs the, the world always needs laughter especially now oh, but i mean goodness, there's yes. there's no shortage of need for that so take it nice I and know. slow with the zygote and we'll all be here when it uh, comes to fruition <laughs> <laughs> i hope so i hope so yes so wow. other than that uh where can people look for you online social media presence website where they can kind of find out more about your work well, yes. Yeah, so I'm on IMDb under Kate A. McGrath, uh, but I'm also um, there's a you know, I have a, a film company with, like I said, Dave LaRosa, Janine Leno, uh, very talented people. Uh, we have a film that is streaming. It's called Clandestine um, that I uh, co-starred in. It was directed by Dave LaRosa and I wrote it and Janine Leno executive produced it. Um, we also have um you know, and I have Twitter, of course, uh, Kate McGee 2001. And I'm also on Instagram under Kate McGee 2001. So. And we should mention Clandestine. That's uh, you won Best Supporting Actress Award for that from the uh, Houston Broadcast Film uh, Critics Award, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I did. Yes, that was that was lovely. And the film itself won the Gold Remy for Crime Drama. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, that was nice. That was pretty cool. Very cool. cool. We'll check that out. And that's streaming across like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. You'll be able to find it if you just look for clandestine there. Uh, It's on, uh, I think it's on Amazon Prime and Google Play and uh, Dish Network. Yeah, but you can you can check it out. It's 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 around. It's called just clandestine. Very excited. I'll add that to my queue tonight because I'm always looking. Obviously, we're all looking for something new to watch during this time. So that's that's great. I will make sure to add that to the list as well. Uh, oh, thank you. Absolutely. Kate yeah. McGrath, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much for your time thank today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having it was It's lovely. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime. So sweet. Thank you. My thanks once again to Kate McGrath. Fantastic individual. Uh, it was a wonderful experience chatting with her. Make sure you check her out and keep up with her and all of her work. We're going to take our next break. Come back talking with actor Emily Swallow. Stand by. Welcome back to Geeks Me Radio. We are now going to be talking with uh, the Armorer from the Mandalorian series. If you didn't see the Mandalorian on Disney Plus, just that series alone is worth the Disney Plus subscription. I will tell you, it's a fantastic show. Emily Swallow has been in countless other productions, movies, uh, a lot of other things. We're going to jump right into our chat with her. We're joined now by actress, voiceover talent, theater veteran Emily Swallow. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. Good, good. Um, We'll start with the big one, The Mandalorian. Absolutely huge. When you took this part, I know the process of getting it was a little secretive. You didn't know what you were auditioning for, but now that it's over and done, when you were doing it, did you have any idea it would be this phenomenon out of the blue? Oh, my gosh. Of course not. I mean, I knew it was good, and I I loved the scripts, and I loved so many elements of it. Like I, I knew that we were putting together something phenomenal but there's just no way you can predict how it will be received right i mean you don't know you don't know how fans are going to accept it you don't know timing is is so random like when other things are released there's so many things that you just have no idea about so it's been thrilling to see how much people love it and i i take it you were a star wars fan growing up i was yes i had I had all my little Ewok dolls and, <laughs> of course, had to pretend to be Princess Leia and act things out in the backyard. Yeah, it was such a huge part of my childhood. And I know you're on social media. It seems like uh, the Star Wars fandom is very, it can be 
very divisive, just like any fandom. There's pockets of kind of malcontents who don't like this, who don't like that. But the fact that I've seen overwhelmingly nothing but positive things about The Mandalorian has to make you feel really good about the job all of you did. It just makes me giddy. It's so joyful. Yeah, it's it's a really special thing. And I don't want to get too much into rumors that I heard on set, but I understand Baby Yoda was a bit of a diva to work with. Is this true? Can you confirm? Oh, oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> we all had to take a pay cut because of that guy. <laughs> and he wanted, you know, green M&Ms only, stuff like that right. all the time. Well, it's good to know. I think in season two, he's going to be replaced by Danny DeVito. I think he's taking over the role, so it'll be brilliant, I'm sure. That's the rumor on the street, but of course, I can't speak to that. Right, of course not, of course. (laughs) And having played this character, uh, there's really no uh, basis in canon for it, but there's 30 years of history from the Dark Horse comics, from the extended universe, to draw upon. And George Lucas, obviously visionary, created this whole big universe. What were some of the inspirations you drew from in creating the armor or creating the persona, the character yeah, well, the thing that I knew from the beginning, because it was one of the few details in the um, audition uh, script and the breakdown for the character, was that she was a, a leader of a, a clan of people um, and that she had a very zen-like presence. Um, so that, that sort of... In, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? That informed... Um, mm. how I did the scene in the audition and, um, and then it was sort of piecemeal until I got to set because I didn't, you know, because of the incredibly secretive nature of the, of the show, um, I didn't really get to talk to many people, um, until I got there. <laughs> right. I mean, I went in for costume fittings, like a couple of months out and I learned so much from them and I learned, um, some details about some of the scripts and then saw how the, the costume was coming together. And that certainly informed my thoughts about the armor and the strengths that she had. But then it was just a few days before we shot that I really got to sit down and talk with um, John Favreau and Dave Filoni to ask, you know, where is she in this group of people in terms of status and um, how does she command a room? And one of the things they, they didn't give me anything that they said I had to do, but one of the things John thought might be helpful was um, looking at some of Kurosawa's films and thinking about the, you know, mm. the samurai order and that kind of regal, um, regal nature and the, and the simplicity and economy of movement. And so that was really helpful to me. Um, so yeah, all those things kind of came together and then, and then seeing, you know, where she lives all the time, that informed it. And uh, honestly, one thing that I sort of had to do because the um, the armor that I was in, that costume was um, a little bit restricting mm. and a little bit cumbersome from the inside. It looks great on the outside, <laughs> but it felt a little bit cumbersome. And so I was constantly worried about like tripping over things and running into things. So <laughs> because of that, it really helped me to try to keep her kind of under control and not have her make any sudden movements until, you know, she really has to in, in episode eight. Um, but it's kind of funny sometimes how those restrictions, like technical restrictions, can wind up giving you something really helpful for a character. Yeah, because it did make her feel very deliberate and very uh, confident in her movements with the slow kind of uh, steady way in which she proceeded. I hadn't thought about that being a costume issue. I just thought that was a character choice. It was a little bit of both. It was, <laughs> I was glad that she was someone who could, who was never in a hurry. And I, you know, I thought, I feel like with um, a character like that, it definitely felt like less is more. It was, she's such a, a commanding presence because of that costume. And so it felt like that took care of a lot of the work for me. And so the simpler I could be with her, the better. And you did mention episode eight, that that fight scene was absolutely incredible, where you see, you kind of get the idea why she's in charge, uh, in addition to her ability to craft the armor and everything like that. But obviously, she's kind of the alpha of the group, uh, that sect of Mandalorians. My question was, as I'm watching this, because I'm always kind of analyzing things, was, did they bring in a fight choreographer who did that? Because obviously the armor could be interchangeable, or you've done motion capture for video games, you're obviously good at movement. Uh Was that you during the fight? 
We'll pause there, get the answer to that question from Emily Swallow, chatting with her the rest of the hour here on Geek2Me Radio. Please stand by. This is Tress McNeil, and you're listening to Geek to Me, and James is the cute one. <laughs> and we're back. Geek to Me Radio, myself, of course, the host, James Enstall. This show would not be possible without the Greater Convention and Visitors Bureau of St. Charles, the city of St. Charles. You know the website because I've talked about it since the show began, discoverstcharles.com. That's discoverstcharles.com. Check out the website. Plans are underway. I know they just held auditions for the actors who will be participating in their Legends and Lanterns Festival in October, as well as Christmas traditions going on in uh, November and December. Uh, We're looking forward to things opening back up. I know we all are. We're wanting to be cautious. And the city of St. Charles is being very fluid on this. They've taken great pains to make sure that The festival goes on one way or another. They've envisioned several different scenarios. They're keeping the health of not only the people who are working the festival, but the health of the people who are coming to see the festival in mind. Um, That's just one of the things they put the people first. They're not out just to make money. They're not out just to do these things. They are truly being very conscious. And as someone who has kind of been behind the scenes and seen uh, as one of the directors puts it, how the sausage is made, they are doing everything to make sure that they are able to do the festival in a safe fun and secure way so that we can deal with this in this new uh, post-COVID world in which we find ourselves living. Lots of stuff to do in St. Charles. They are crowded. It was a gorgeous weekend. Of course, they were busy in St. Charles with all the shops and all the great eateries and all the the things there are to see and do. People wanting to get out, walking in the Frontier Park, the big, gorgeous Frontier Park. If you've not been, check out the website. Start there. DiscoverSTCharles.com. Plan your trip. Yeah, you will not be disappointed. There is literally something for everybody. And as we always say here, uh, it's an historically good time. Once again, uh, big thanks to the Greater St. Charles Convention and Visitors Bureau. And we look forward to uh, telling you more about them in the coming weeks and months ahead as they partner with us here at geek to me Radio. We were talking earlier with Emily Swallow and talking about The Mandalorian. What an amazing series. We asked before we went to break if she was the one who was able to do her own fight scenes underneath that Mandalorian armorer armor. Oh, I wish I could say it was. I wanted it to be. I said, I said, I will train. I will. And our fight coordinator um, very gently said to me that there was no way I could learn what I would need to learn in the like three weeks that we Uh. had. Um, but I did train a little bit. I worked with somebody, um, and a lot of the basis for the fight was a, a martial art called Kali. And so I did work a little bit with that so that I could try and help with transitions, um, in the beginning and the end of the fight. But no, that was somebody who is far more skilled than I am. I was wondering, cause I was gonna say that's very impressive. It's not that you couldn't have done it with the, the motion capture and other physical roles you had. But I was, I'm always kind of curious. My mind goes there. I'm like, I wonder if it was a cutaway, like you did half of it, someone else did part. So that was very intriguing, though, the way it was done. Well, thank you. I'm flattered that you think I could do that. <laughs> and talking about motion capture, uh, voiceover work in video games, uh, there, there's a lot of the motion capture. The technology has just become incredibly insane with all they're able to do. And I know, I think you were in post-production for The Last of Us Part Two. You you say that again? Are you, I, I believe you're in post production for the Last of Us Part oh, Two. Or are you still in working post-production. on post production? No, you're, I have finished my. You're, work you're done. Yet. You're completely done. Okay, I didn't uh-huh. know if there was still work to be done on that or not. I'm. I know that they're still doing work because I think it's not released until May. Was the right. last that I heard. But I think I'm. So. It's, well, I mean, I say I'm done, but you know, sometimes I think I'm done, and then I thought I have to go in and do more looping or. Um, you know, something additional for it. So I think I'm done. And they talk about voiceover because we've had, I, I'm always fascinated by voiceover people. I love that uh, the work they do, they're able to create a character with just their voice. And we had Kevin Conroy, who obviously did Batman. And he talked about the difference between doing voiceover work like you've done on Castlevania versus voiceover mm-hmm. work in a video game. It's completely different. Describe a little bit, if you would, your experience doing the voiceovers for video games versus working on a series like Castlevania. Well, I've never done only voiceover for video games. It's always been motion capture. Sure. Yeah. 
So, I mean, just having it feel more like a complete performance um, is a huge difference because in animation, what I've done at least, um, there's not, it's often like not completely finished what it is that they're, what they've uh, animated. And so I don't necessarily even know how the character's moving. I mean, I still really get into it physically because it, it just feels disconnected if I don't. But sure. yeah, it's always surprising to see how it winds up. How uh, then somebody who comes in, an animator comes in and interprets what you've, the performance you've given vocally. It's always interesting to see how that turns out. And having come from a theater background, that's got to be something you can, you can really draw on in this instance, too, about, you know, you, you may be doing this in a completely blank room, but there's that theater aspect that they, the actor's mind has to fill in those blanks. So I'd assume a theater degree would come in quite handy in an instance like this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, also, I think just uh, being able to connect to being a kid when everything was in your imagination. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's funny, like we we give it this this distinguished name of like a, you know, it's a craft, it's an art form, but it's also just like going back to your imagination and playing around. Yeah. Do you, do you think, do you think some people lose that? Cause it sounds like you've got it. You've got that, that childlike wonder that you just love these projects. You can tell both when you talk about them and in your performance, it comes across. Do you feel like some people lose that and get a little bit jaded after they've done it for so long? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure some people do. And I think it's hard to, it's sort of a hard thing to cultivate in um, at least in American society, because we're, we're praised for being very rational and intellectual and problem solving. And there's not as much attention, I guess, given to like allowing that space to just play. And I always, I always liken it, um, you know, keeping that creative spirit alive. I, I think about it like going to the gym. Like I don't, I don't go to the gym once a month and expect to be able to bench press like 200 pounds. Like that would be insane. And I think in the same way, like you kind of have to tap into your imagination regularly yeah. be it with, I mean, I don't just do it with acting. I do it with music. I do it with um, drawing. And I think you have to do that to keep it, um, to keep it alive and to keep it available. Otherwise it's so much harder to reach in and, and pull it out when you need it. And do you think that speaks to, because I know you've, you've had great success in television. I mean, all, all the great shows you've done, Southland, NCIS, oh, Medium, you. Flight of the Concords, uh, Ringer, which I loved Ringer. I was so ex- uh, disappointed that that did not get picked up for a, another season. But yeah, that was a fun show. That was great. I mean, and you work with such great people, but with, with going, you've always gone back to theater. I know you, you're constantly doing theater. Is that kind of a little bit about keeping that imagination, that childlike wonder about engaging those muscles alive or you just outright love theater both i mean it definitely helps me keep those muscles alive but i also i mean there's something that you get in theater and having that immediate connection with the audience that you just can't have in television and film and you do you do get to connect with your audience eventually like you get to talk to people after they've seen it and hear their impressions and that's one of the reasons i love getting to connect with fans on social media and talking to them at conventions but in theater, you're experiencing it together. They're right there in the room with yeah. you. Um, they're seeing the performance that you're giving that night and that night only. It's a little bit different every single time. And yeah, there's just nothing that compares to that. I I, I never want to stop doing theater. Is there anybody theater-wise, because obviously the, the Hollywood, it, 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 I, there's a lot of people who go back and forth, as you do from TV to theater. And uh, it seems like people who start out in theater that's always something that draws them back. They love, we did, we had John Glover on the show and he talks about, he loves going into New York to do plays up there still. It's just one of those things yeah. that you, you never lose that desire to connect with the audience. As you said, is there anybody uh, like a play that, or I should say a play that you haven't done that is on your bucket list of plays to do or someone you haven't worked with, be it a director or a, another actor on stage who you'd like to do something with? Oh, geez. I mean, there's so many people I would love to work with. I think the first thing that, that came to mind when you said like a play or something, I, I've always loved Tennessee Williams and I have gotten to do, um, I did Cat on a Hot Tin Roof a few years ago, but there's just something about his language and the, the imagery of it and the size of it, um, that I love. And even though it's contemporary, more or less, it feels, it feels timeless. Um, so I'd love to do more Tennessee Williams. Also, I guess, cause I'm a Southerner. I grew up in the South, so right. I, I connect <laughs> to it. Yeah. 
And with uh, we should mention Supernatural, uh, obviously uh-huh. a huge show and just phenomenal. Uh, the, the success it's had, the longevity it's had, being brought back for that. Uh, when you went in to do the character, did you have any idea it would be such a, uh, I guess, beloved character? Because they're bringing Amara back again for the final season. Uh, how has the reaction been from the fans? And what has been, I guess, the best part about doing this character? Oh, my gosh. Well, I feel like <laughs> the fans are desperate for me to come back and try to get Chuck into line. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been there in one episode and I definitely did not take care of that yet. There's still some more work to be done. So, I mean, yeah, I I saw immediately with her um, that there was a real even though she was technically the villain of the season, the writers, the way that they created her, um, I thought was just so it was so easy to feel for her because they did make her very, you know, she wanted this connection to her brother. She wanted love. She felt misunderstood. And I think we can all relate to that. So I really credit them for kind of layering that into the character. And I'm, I'm glad that people um, appreciated her and didn't just, you know, once she was gone, didn't just say, okay, good riddance. But uh, I think that there's some people that are pretty impatient with me to get in there and, and try to get Chuck in line. And talking about uh, the, the little bit of a crossover there, because you got your start on soap operas, Guiding Light, I believe, which doesn't, unfortunately isn't on the air. But Jensen Ackles, obviously, Supernatural started on Days of Our Lives. Did you guys bond yeah. a little bit over your soap opera backgrounds? <laughs> no, we've never really talked about it. I mean, he, you know, he did it much more extensively than than I did. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's so interesting to me that, 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 that those shows are sort of dying out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a, odd. You think even 10 years ago, they were going very strong. We seem to, I think there's only like four left. I didn't even know there were that many. Yeah. I think there's good. We just had, uh, we just had Victor Newman, uh, Eric Braden from young and the restless was on, uh, days of our okay. lives. And I believe bold and the beautiful. So maybe just three actually, now that I say it out loud. Wow. But yeah, it, that's incredible. As opposed to even a decade ago when there were, I think 10, <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I guess we're just, we're telling stories constantly in, in new ways. But there's that, that background that soap opera actors have, because there's been obviously many famous people came from soap opera backgrounds. Tommy Lee Jones got his start on Search for Tomorrow. And, and a lot of people have said, if you want to work hard, start on a soap because you have to memorize all those lines very quickly. It's much different from oh doing a gosh. stage play where you have weeks to rehearse. We're going to take another quick pause, come back and wrap it up for our last segment here on geek to me Radio. Stand by. Davis, I play Etta Candy in Wonder Woman, and this is Geek to Me Radio. Come and listen. We're very, very nice. Here we are in our final segment, talking this back half of the hour with actor Emily Swallow. And obviously, we talked to people before from soap operas and people who have worked in soap operas. And so we asked Emily Swallow what her experience was working on Guiding Light and uh, the soap opera experience in general. Yeah, it's unreal. I mean, I only I was only I was on Guiding Light for three episodes, so I just got a taste of it. But it was a crash course for me. And I have such respect for those actors um, and for how much material they do have to digest and just go with it. I think one thing that I saw is that so many of them are are able to just respond to their impulses in an almost improvisational way because they kind of have to. They don't they don't sure. have time to really let it sink in and and uh, and settle. They just have to have to trust that it's there and go with it. And with like I said, you've done so much work with so many great talents between uh, the Mentalist, How to Get Away with Murder. Uh, we mentioned The Ringer, which I was a huge fan of. That who have you worked with in your career? that has taught you the most, I guess, or has, has you've learned something huge about acting uh, from this person or it could be multiple people. I was going to say, I definitely have more than one. Um, I think in television, my first like really uh, formidable experience with that was when I was doing a show called Monday mornings uh, on TNT. We only did one season, hardly anybody saw it, but it was this remarkable cast. Um, Fred Molina, Ving Rhames, Bill Irwin. 
And um, watching Alfred Molina work was just mm. such uh, it was a masterclass, both in acting, because I saw I mean, he's indisputably a phenomenal actor. And I saw kind of the the relaxation that he had in his work and how he also was somebody on that show who had just gobs and gobs of lines to do each episode. And um, he just did it with so little tension so that if if there was a line that wasn't coming to him, if something was escaping his memory, he didn't like have that moment of anxiety or panic or anything. He just kind of breathed and went with it. And then either the line would come to him or something else interesting would come to him. Um, so that was great to see. But then the other thing that really stood out to me is just what a kind and gracious person he is. Hmm. And that was a huge lesson because I think, you know, we hear all these stories about divas and people who are challenging to work with. And I've just been fortunate to work with so many incredible actors who are also really kind and it just makes it better for everybody. It makes the work better. Um, it makes people happier, obviously. And, uh, and I think it contributes to their talent. So that that was that really has always stuck with me. Um, and then on stage, I got a chance to work with one of my biggest heroes. I did a play with Mark Rylance a few years ago, um, and he was both in it and co-directed it with his wife and co-wrote it. And it was just such a ball from start to finish because it was so playful and and again, there was this relaxation. There wasn't, you know, sometimes, especially nowadays, it always feels like you don't have enough time to rehearse a play. Like sure, the rehearsal yeah. period is too short. And so there's a lot of directors that go immediately to like, all right, let's get this up on its feet. Let's get it on stage. Let's start blocking. Um, but sometimes that can lead to uh, a really uninformed um performance and, and kind of confusion in the storytelling. And one thing that we did um, nice fish. The play that I did with Mark is that we, we took time at the beginning to really play with who these characters were. We did a lot of improvisation and then there were parts of the show every night that, uh, that we knew were sort of unscripted. And we came to that part of the play, um, in the performance, we knew like anything could happen. And that was just so much fun. I can imagine. And I also, I saw with him too, that he's just so kind and generous and has such a strong work ethic. And that's, that's always kind of a relief for me to see when somebody incredibly talented, I see like, oh, okay, you have to work really hard. It's not just magic. <laughs> right. I'm like, phew. <laughs> um, it, it's been amazing, uh, the work you've done and all these great, and it seems like you're always on these fantastic projects. So either your agent is amazing or you're very lucky. Obviously, you're a hard worker and your acting is great, but uh, it, part of it obviously is attributed to uh, just the amazing projects you get assigned. What going forward do you have that you're coming up that you can tell us about? Obviously, there might be something you can't, <laughs> but is there anything you can kind of give us a little hint about what you're working on next? Yeah, well, I've been recurring this season on a um, a CBS show called Seal Team. Sure, Natalie Pierce, um, yeah. Yeah, and I will continue to to do that. I'm going to pop up throughout the season. So that that's something I'm allowed to tell you that I'm <laughs> in it. <laughs> um, so that's kind of a relief. There's so many things where I'm like, I don't know. I can't say. Um, but yeah, I've really enjoyed doing that. And, uh, and it's been, it's, I'm, I'm so glad that I've had that to do like while the Mandalorian was coming out and I was waiting to see how everybody was going to receive it. Cause I did my work on that. I finished shooting that October, November of 2018. Oh, okay. Um, so it was before it was even announced or anything. So it was a lot of waiting to see what it was going to wind up looking like, um, and yes, I, I've gotten to work with some phenomenal people on incredible shows, but even if it might appear that I'm always working, it definitely is not always the case. <laughs> There's been plenty of times where I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, what's going to be next? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I'm richly rewarded when I do get to work. And hopefully, because obviously it was left open, we'll probably see you again in Mandalorian season two. Obviously, you can't say anything or Disney would hunt you down and sue the living daylights out of you. But hopefully <laughs> we'll see you back in the second season since it was left open. Well, I'm glad that you want to see me back. 
Yeah, I think makes me happy. Yeah, it was a fantastic character. I mean, obviously, like I said, just the 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 regalness, the the quiet leadership that you had. Uh, they're obviously through the respect they paid you. It was just uh, the, the whole thing was brilliant. Many people, uh, I'm a diehard Star Wars fan, and I think for my money, The Mandalorian was better than the last three movies they put up as far as story wise, content, acting. Well, thank you. I'm so glad that you liked it so much. Absolutely. I greatly appreciate your taking the time to speak with me today. Uh, continued success. We'll look forward to keeping up with Natalie Pierce on SEAL Team, and hopefully, we'll see the armorer back in season two of The Mandalorian. Thank you. It's great to talk to you. That is going to do it. My thanks once again to both Kate McGrath and Emily Swallow. Fantastic women. Uh, check out their work. Make sure you keep up with them on Twitter at their social media and websites that they gave out. Uh, I want to thank again the Geeks Worldwide. That website is thegww.com. I'm a contributor there for movie reviews. I just put out a piece uh, about the death of Denny O'Neill, what he meant to the comic book industry, writers in general. Uh, check out that piece on their website as well as all the other cool stuff for gaming. The Geeks Worldwide's an amazing website. Keeps you up to date with all the stuff in the geek world, just like I try to do right here on Geek to Me Radio. And also, we had a couple weeks ago, Brian Volkwies talking about a toy store near you. That uh, episodes are continuing to drop on Amazon Prime, YouTube, and other places. Make sure you check that out. Uh, the proceeds from those shows do go back to the toy stores, which are featured there. Uh, so again, thanks to Brian Volkweitz, both for being on the air and for doing that incredible, incredible project that he worked on, a toy store near you. That's going to do it. So until next week, my friends. It's not in the way you watch I sound be. It's not in the way you watch the flash. It's not Mandalore, good night. Hi, this is James Enstall, host of Geek Me Radio, and in honor of my favorite Themyserian, I've decided to become an Amazon warrior. Hera, give me strength. The next time you want to buy something from Amazon, go to geektomeradio.com first and click on our Amazon affiliate link. Simply shop like you normally would, and when you check out, a small percentage will go towards supporting the show. So remember, the next time you want to search Amazon for the latest Wonder Woman graphic novel or parts for your invisible jet... Click through from geek 2 me radiocom first. The world was in peril. Would you have me stand by and do nothing?